<clears throat> I cannot tell a lie. I am 50-year-old, 18, Spine Millington, anti-hunt supporter. Hunt is a four-letter word. Jack is a four-letter word. Dick is a four-letter word. Hunt, Jack, Dick is a 12-letter word. And the winner is Mrs Ada Krulls of Lewisham. And she wins a weekend with Bert Whedon. <laughs> Goompod. This week, I'm glad to be joined by uh, the actor, singer, composer, voiceover artist, as he describes himself, Jack of all trades, uh, Daryl McLean. Now, uh, Daryl came on to talk uh, ostensibly about Spike, but we also uh, ended up talking about other stuff as well, uh, which I hope you find enjoyable. You join the conversation. I've just asked Daryl about his a wonderful project, uh, which is available on his YouTube channel, uh, TV Themes Go Pop. Just that kind of a little kind of musical comedy cabaret thing I did mostly during the first lockdown last summer. Mm. Um, it's like here is a TV theme tune. Here is how a famous artist would do it. And there's a few different kind of formats. I did slightly bend the format. Sometimes it is just one song to the tune of another. Sometimes it's like an original pastiche <laughs> with the lyrics of a theme tune. It's whatever I fancied yeah. doing, really. I think I did nearly 30 of them i think i did 29 of them it was like quite annoying i didn't quite get to the to a round number you've got amazing range because you've done uh you've done donovan doing the a team <laughs> the best one polk doing danger mouse and um james taylor doing the goodies theme tune gee you need a helping hand oh yeah which apparently bill oddy has heard um I don't think James Taylor's heard it, but uh, normally I don't get a very good reception from the people, either the people I'm impersonating or the people who've written the theme tunes I'm, I'm covering. There's been a lot right. of, most people have reacted quite oddly to it. And I think the only person, as far as I know, who I who genuinely seemed to be amused by it was apparently Neil Hannon was amused by um, the one ah. I did of him doing Jamie and the Magic Torch, which is it's nice, you're, you're pleased, you know. Yeah, you'd expect that from someone like him, wouldn't you? Candida Doyle from from Pulp was not impressed <laughs> by the Pulp oh, doing Danger Mouse. Dear me, goodness me! Um, you've not you've not had any sort of legal letters from um, Elton John solicitors then? Not from not from Rocket for a while because that's that was a story and a half. Um, yeah, it's it's back now. What I, what I think happened with that? It just if, for the benefit of the uninitiated, the original one was Elton John doing the theme from Only Fools and Horses, and it got it kind of went mega viral. It was kind of what what broke me really. And mm. uh, I got it got shut down by by Rocket Productions, and I think they weren't going for that. I think they were going for the video that someone had put up of him doing "I'm Still Standing" on that charity thing with funny misheard lyrics underneath yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what they they were yes. trying to shut down. And I'd kind of got caught in in the uh, in the crossfire. So I suspect <laughs> the actual Elton John right. wouldn't mind people doing impressions of him. <laughs> Stick a pony in my pocket. I'll fence a suitcase from the band. Cause if you want the best, then you don't ask questions, then brother, I'm your man. Where it all comes from is a mystery. Like the 
changing of the seasons and the tides of the sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other day I messaged you and, and did ask you if you could uh, if you could possibly try and do Harry Seacombe singing the Boone theme tune, but uh... well, do you know what? I I knew for a long, very long time, Harry Seacombe was just the man off highway. So for a long time, Harry Seacombe really just was that. If I rule the world, that, that was all he was to me. <laughs> and then so that's what. And that, as always, he has has another job. I never heard him blow a raspberry for ten years. The the the, the, the few episodes of Highway that I ever watched, he he tended to be quite sort of sober and somber, didn't he? Uh, I guess because you can't be uh, doing trouser dropping and blowing raspberries when it's a, an ostensibly a, a religious program. <laughs> it was one of those things that was just always on because obviously it's four channel days. I just remember it just you what tech TV would be on. It's which of which is the least worst option. That was yeah. that was mostly what 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 it was. And Highway was quite often on on a Sunday, where I would always be at my grandparents yeah. and it would just be on. So that's I'll just see this man who was almost completely triangular. Just uh, singing hymns. <laughs> you kind of resign to the dread of going back to school the next day as well. So you kind of, you just think, oh, well, just throw what you've got at me. Highway, last mm. of summer wine. It's, 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 there's a, there's a, a, a de- depressed Sunday dinner aesthetic mm. of TV aesthetic. And, and Harry Seacombe is in right in the middle of that. <laughs> Do you mind me asking so, what year you were born? I was born in 1985. It is my birthday in a week from recording this. Okay. I'm 36 in a week. I'm really trying to hold on because I really don't want my age to round up easily to 40. Um, <laughs> I can round. Yeah. I, I'm on the fives at the moment, but after, after after this birthday, once I turn 36, that's it now. I round I round up to 40, and that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's the beginning of the end. <laughs> no, no, no. You're still in your mid 30s. You're not quite. At, I think 30, 37 is when, or 38 is when you're in your late late 30s uh i'll just, I'll just so delay that midlife wings. crisis for a couple of just i'll just park it for a year or two then yeah 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 uh but so 1985 you know you, you probably i think you probably i don't want to you know sound sound like an old man in his rocking chair on his veranda uh talking to a young in here but you know you are the probably the youngest person i've had so far uh mm. so you, you did tell me early on that you're not a goon fan which is fine because you know this this is a podcast about the goons in general yeah well it's it's when i've obviously I'm, I'm slightly going out of chronology here but when i did discover it it was just something that was not really for me and although to be honest what i will say is i think in in my head it's become one of those things where i've kind of parked it for a later date one of those things like like jazz getting getting into jazz and uh <laughs> and prog yeah. rock it's it's the, it's it's waiting for me at a certain point when i can when i can appreciate it there's, I've parked That's, a few things yeah. like that, you know. I, I've just, I've just, I've just left it like a like a gingerbread crumb for when I feel like I'm ready <laughs> to go through it all. And I suspect I'm, I'm I'm approaching the point where it'll start making more sense to me. But at the time when I was, it was very, it was so alienating to me. Just just the aesthetic of old, the, the how old it was was to my ears. Mm-hmm. It was just like from another from another planet. It was it was almost like I was listening to something in a different language. It wasn't it was not like I disliked it. It was just baffling. Not yeah, not that the yeah. surreal element was baffling, just there's something about the the feel of it that was so baffling I was I was like not not really for me. Although saying that I did I did like the singles. You know, okay. the, the the actual the record stuff, uh, the, you know, the because there were quite a lot of compilations of all the singles around and when I was trying to get things out of the library that that did pop up and I was like, all oh, right. Cause I had a, a Latin teacher 
who who never shut up about the goons. I mean, more about about Latin because you know you can't conjugate Harry Seacombe, but th- that's all I could do after after two years of Latin. It, it was it, it I was you know went to a state school that it was quite rare to do Latin, and he just yeah. he was just spent the whole time talking about the goons. Ah, the go- he saw me in the library taking out the goons cassettes, and he was very very proud of me, like I was a. And it was nothing to do with him. I've so, I, I let him take the credit, but I just remember—I vividly remember him pointing to them in the middle of Wigan Civic Library, going, "Ah, the goons!" I was like, "Okay, okay." So, going to give a credit to Mister Whiteley, who I think is still with us. I think he's—I think he is still with us. Uh, thank you, Mister Whiteley, uh, for at least trying. <laughs> so, what what sort of comedy were you into when you were a callow youth? Well, when I really started getting into comedy. Uh, one of the first things I really hit was was Python, really, um, mm-hmm. which even then was a bit out of out of time and favour. But this was still, it was slightly less than thirty years old at, at the time. So I remember one of the first things was was Life of Brian. As I can, I moved for one of the first things after that was actually well, I should get into Spike Milligan next. So it was, it was already there because when I was at school. I knew Spike Milligan before almost anything else because when in the late 80s there was a book a poetry anthology that came out of children's poetry that was edited by Roger McGough and it was a very very big seller I checked and it was in print from about 1989 to like 2004 and it was called mm. The Kingfisher Book of Comic Verse and just Roger McGough just put all his favourite comic poetry in and it was marketed kind of as a children's book but it was a general anthology really and it was a big, this big hardback, and there were quite a lot of Spike poems in it. There were also uh, things from Monty Python in Michael Palin, Terry Jones, um, loads of Liverpool poet stuff, um, Illa Belloc, and all the things that it's re- it was great to be exposed to at that stage. Um, even like song lyrics, like I think there's like a couple of Billy Connolly songs in, and then Mike Harding things in it. He oh, yeah. really tried to make it. Um, to indoctrinate kids into this stuff and it really kind of worked so i always knew the name spike milligan because i liked the the poems of his that were in it right yeah so when i was in primary school and because i was i'm from the northwest it's not a very affluent area that i grew up in um the, the school libraries were fairly old most of the books in there were old paperbacks from the 60s and 70s in the school library so there were two years where our classroom was just a porter cabin i did two whole years of, of schooling inside basically a, inside a cabin on 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 a field and the school library in this damp oh. cabin was just God. ancient paperbacks they were all they were orange and brown and one of them was a, a book of milling animals and mm. I, I think i recognized the name from my kingfisher book comic verse so I remember taking this out and it it was just like a revelation because I was just really laughing and I, I didn't expect anything in that uh, dusty library to have got that, you know, reaction from me. And I was semi-obsessed with that book for a while. I would always go for it. I would, I, I must have spent six months clinging to that book. Oh, wow. Libraries kind of just get sort of, a lot of people just dismiss them, don't they? And think, you know, money could be better spent elsewhere, but... Yeah, and, and, and I think that just goes to show, you know, school libraries particularly because now, you know, it, the idea of libraries now is it has to be like a bookshop and all the stock has to be brand new and it has to be regularly rotated. Well, that just, my story proves that that's complete rubbish. It can be ancient mm-hmm. books. You know, I remember reading an ancient copy of Murray Poppins that looked like it came off the ark. And mm. 
it really doesn't matter what your um what the state of it is it's just access to to some books and eventually something will be there that someone will like and you'll have made a connection but that the book of milligan animals which i think is from the is it from the late 60s i haven't actually checked the year but it's definitely from yeah. the 60s 1968 yeah and it's very slim it does it's very very slight it's a really it's it's there's not a lot to it it's just a selection of poems a few about animals and then a few kind of sillier ones um and then some a lot lot of cartoons and drawings in it as well it's it's very much mm-hmm. designed to be it fe- it felt like contraband you know the kind of kids contraband and it, and it was around the same time i was kind of discovering roald dahl as well and i think there's a, there's an obvious connection partly yeah. because i think spike milligan is one of roald dahl's main influences and it's not really spoken about but it clearly is i've i've said before that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, huge parts of that are just Dahl doing uh, Spike Milligan pastiche. Like there's lots of funny lists and kind of wordplay jokes and, it, and there's a lot of kind of World War II humour and, and World War II kind of sly references in it. And obviously when the, when they made the film in 1971, Dahl's main stipulation that he he insisted that they had to get Spike Milligan for the role, I think, I think they kind of knew each other a, a bit at the time but he really wanted because presumably when Roald Dahl wrote that book um, his the voice in his head when he wrote the character of Willy Wonka was Spike Milligan mm. so it mm. was it was a book written for Spike Milligan and that's kind of gone a bit the idea of that people don't really refer to the fact that it's supposed to be not Timothy Chalamet it's it's supposed to be ah that's Willy Wonka for <laughs> yeah. lifting drinks that's that's who it's supposed to be um yeah, can you imagine it as well? Do you think? I mean, Gene Wilder is phenomenal in that role. It is literally my favourite ever film, that 1971 film. Genuinely, it's my mm. favourite film of all time, and I would, I don't think I would rather, like to change anything about it. And I think Spike Milligan would have been great in it, but I think it would have been a minor film that you'd maybe have seen one DVD release of in like the mid noughties and it'd been this quite obscure thing that was bootlegged, and it wouldn't have really made much of an yeah. impact i don't think or it'd be something like the water babies people would know about it but it like it would be like the lionel jeffries films it would just be kind of mm. one of those mm. not like chitty chitty bang bang more like wombling free it's just sits in the <laughs> sits in the middle and people you know it's, it's just a nostalgia thing that's that doesn't really have any resonance i think i think that the, the problem is spike never really had a huge film hit you know he was in films that did did pretty well i mean he was in life of brian and Things, you know, but only in small roles but spike leading a film i think would be a different matter and i think that whenever he's restrained by i've seen him in a few films like, such as postman's knock and uh, suspect where he's kind of had to sort of knuckle down and just you know give a performance which is not spike's natural performance it's a, it's slightly restrained you know mm. and i can see although the willy wonka character is is meant to be a bit unhinged and he's got all those eccentricities spike would be constrained and would feel constrained and i think that would come across in the performance i think well yeah exactly we, we could have been a match made in heaven and it could have been but it's hard to imagine him doing the dramatic moments you know mm. you, you, you yes. like the end and, and the elevator you know he got he'd live happily ever after it wouldn't really work would it it would it he would have to do it as a straight voice because spike milligan's serious as himself because i when i I'm going again, going slightly out of order here, but when I was younger, Spike Milligan's voice, he was already old because it was 
by then it was the early 90s he'd had you know his, his, his first really serious health problems so it really slowed down in his voice and it was yeah. sounding like that really yeah and then the the, the familiar persona would sound like that but then you see him on interviews in like the 70s on, on parkinson or something like that and when you see him with his guard down it's like who is this because he sounds very, you know, he's, he's, all, he's almost a completely different man talking. Like he's just unveiled yeah. a mask. You know, if he's just talking about jazz or Hitler or something. And, and then you go, who's, who's that? And happiness cannot be allied to materialism. Uh, buying a television is not a happiness. It's an occasion for possibly enjoyment. But real happiness can be done without any of these mechanical or financial artifacts of life. Real happiness is getting up, opening the window and seeing rain. And you think, isn't that beautiful, you know? Or seeing the sun, or change of the wind, direction of wind. That's all beautiful. Nothing to do with uh, Western civilization, though. So maybe mm-hmm. he would have tapped into that a little bit. But the first 10 really kind of um, vivid years of my childhood where I was noticing things around me and trying to get into things were the, the last 10 years of Spike Milligan's life. His kind of old man years, like I said, when, when he sounded like that, he talked. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. So at the time, he was putting out a lot of books. Everything was available. I think he had this... They must have had this publishing deal with Virgin Books because every single thing he'd ever written was on the shelves and he was seemingly bringing something out about every six months if it was like those uh, according to books or various anthologies. There was constant Milligan product on the bookshelves. But I'm trying to think about the order was when I I kind of parked it really. I didn't didn't look for other Spike Milligan books as a child. I just knew him from my anthology. And I thought, oh, he's the, the man that wrote the book of Milligan Animals. And didn't really think much about it. And it was kind of when I got into Python. And when I first saw Life of Brian on video and I saw his name in the opening credits and I thought, because I didn't really know what Python was, but I saw his name in the opening credits and I went, ah, this'll be good because there's his name. I didn't, didn't realise he was in it for about five frames, but it was just a little <laughs> stamp of quality. And it was just that little, uh, you know, you, the first couple of Python documentaries you see, they're all asking you to lead back. So straight away I went, I went back that way. And there was... Um, there was a, the, the video, which is still available, the, the one that came out in the early 90s where not long after he's he's been ill, it was kind, it's kind of his, he does his, his links are kind of in, in his house. It's about 80, 90 minutes long. And it starts with a little kind of featurette and there's kind of new links, kind of new comedic links in it. But it's mostly a, a compilation of Q, but mostly there's a lot of it about, which hasn't come out in any other form there's mm. about half an hour's worth of there's a lot of it about on there now because because q itself i've never been I, I quite like what i quite like the q5 i've seen but most of the middle era the six seven eight and nine i'm not too enamored with because I, sometimes i just think it's not quite good enough to have resonated down it's not quite you know the, the i think something like the goodies was kind of given an unfair throw of the dice that really could have been repeated year on year and, and never oh, was yeah. but I, yep. I kind of think Q just the, the, there are moments of absolute brilliance but there's so much which is kind of coasting or low energy or no one's hearts in it or it just it just you know it's it's on autopilot it's it's unclear yeah. as to it's unclear as to how much Spike is enjoying it at times there's, there's times where he just doesn't look it looks like he doesn't want to be there and there are times he looks like he's having a great time, and then that's nice to see. Yeah, Q five was was genuinely groundbreaking in, in as much as you know it just came along just before Python began, uh, and there was some fantastic stuff. And, and and yeah, the first few years it was great. 
what people tend to say is that as as Q got sort of into towards the sort of late seventies, most of the time it was um, Spike dressed as Hitler and women with big boobs. Exactly, it's and, Hitler. Um, it's it's Hitler naked breasts. It's custard pies, Irish jokes, and yeah. it, and scouts. And I think the problem is in the late nineties. It was even more so than the goons. The idea of Spike Milligan was that he was the man who'd been dealt a bad hand because his greatest work was Q that had been suppressed. And that was kind of the legend. That was his legend for a long time. He made Q, but he won't show it anymore. And it was the best thing he ever did. And that's that's clearly not true. You know, the, the best thing he ever did was his children's work. It was his children's book, the stuff he did with George Martin, um, his, his war memoirs. A lot of his publishing stuff and his stuff on record is his greatest achievement to me. Um, you know, obviously, he wrote a lot of books and they're not all amazing. Like some of the, according to things that were kind of being churned out towards the end. Yeah. Do you remember those coming out? There's there's a really do, good yeah. one. There's a really good Bible one that he started it off with that's genuinely a brilliant humour book and I kind of remember smuggling in and, and kind of reading surreptitiously in RE lessons just for the added frisson of <laughs> forbidden yeah. that was me testing my, my taboos then you know trying to push boundaries but that oh, that's wow. brilliant and then there was there were about six or seven more and the, a lot of them aren't even that readable really there's a black beauty one and a frankenstein one and a treasure island and they were just constantly coming out i had about four of them i kind of bought them out of a sense of duty at the time i, I used to read the spike books i read obviously the war memoirs and um i love Cocoon. I love the Looney. Don't know if you've read the Looney. That was really late on, was it? That was from the that final era of like um, was that like about ninety eight, ninety nine, something like that. It was a, it's a really late. Mm, or is that? I, I'm, 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 I'm mixing it up with something else. Eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah. Well, that, that's that's really interesting because he must have asked them to give it a, a big kind of relaunch in about ninety nine, two thousand, because it had a new cover that looked like um, uh, a beer beer pump label for Spike yes. and the Looney and, yes, and it got know, a, and it got a new um a new release because I thought that was a new book at the time I never read it I didn't I didn't get everything I was trying to diversify as well but during my kind of Spike Milligan year I remember that coming out and going mm, kind of flicking through it I did also read some stuff in bookshops you know I'm not proud of it <laughs> I, went to, I went to school quite near a town center I did like quite often get the late bus and read but and read books in the bookshop. There's quite a few of us that did. I'm sure we were well, we, I, with I, a scourge of we were the scourge of Wigan. Uh, I I I read quite of quite a lot of Spike's books, but the, yeah, the according to books, I kind of I think yeah, I read the Bible and then I think I think I kind of just I think I may have bought them but never read them. The rest of them. I like I like the fact that he was um you know he was still working and he was still getting stuff out because they were all pretty much his final output those according to books and there was a very there was one he brought out an anthology of like uh, like he used to in the fifties and the sixties a bit like uh, a book of Milligan animals I think it was called a Mad Medley of Milligan that was kind mm. of like his old stuff right in the middle of this and it was that's one of that's probably his last ever major work um. Was from about ninety nine, two thousand, something like that, and it had a white white cover with a with a coloured title, I recall, and it's all the old style poems and cartoons and, and silly bits, just yeah. just like you'd yeah. want. 
and it's kind of nice that, he yeah. entered on high and it's it's really nice that they, they gave him that contract because these days if he was around now they'd, they'd, be, they'd be trying to crowdfund stuff doing stuff on Unbound you wouldn't get a publisher <laughs> just going there you go you've just got an open door whatever you want we'll bring it out you know it would be a five year campaign you know what, what pledge level do you want do you want hand, handwritten lyrics and <laughs> do you want Spike to personally deliver the book to your door yeah um, you know when we were sort of discussing you coming on this show, you did mention the book of Milliganimals. I did have it when I was growing up in New Zealand. Um, I don't have it. I haven't had it since I left home, but I thought, oh, I'll, I'll get a copy. Just, you know, I knew it was only a slim volume. Um, and you, you can't, I don't think you can buy it on Amazon. There is a there is a book which I think is just about still in print. It is on Virgin. Um and it's called okay. the Children's Treasury of Milligan. And I have bought it for my daughter. I have a big uh, store of books in the attic for when she's a little yeah. bit older. And this is, I've, I brought this down kind of prematurely for this. Um, <laughs> and it does have the complete contents of a book of Milligan animals inside it. So it, it's right. kind of got most of his books of that kind. It's got all of Silly Verse for Kids in and Ball Twit Lion and um, Unspun Socks from a Chicken's Laundry. And it's also got um, a CD copy of the Spikes Poems cassette that came out in the 90s that I had as well. I'm, I'm looking forward to a kind of discovering that. But, you know, you, you always have the thing that if she doesn't like it, it's it's such a it's such a kicker when they don't like something that you liked. Yeah. I managed to get this book on eBay for about two quid. <laughs> um, I was just reacquainting myself with some of the poems, and they're great, aren't they? Some of the poems, you just think, you know, half this book he must have dashed off in an afternoon. But then you think about it, you think, no, there's a hell of a lot of thought have gone into that, those poems. Yeah, looking at things in, in retrospect, what appears, what you think on first glance is dashed off, you look at it and it's very, very carefully honed. Every word is very carefully chosen. And he really does have the heart of a poet. You can tell that he did sit there for an hour on a six line poem and, and get the, and get all, you know, the scansion right and get just the right words. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's also got silly old baboon in it, which he did later record. I think he did it on cue and brought out as a single. That's, that's pretty much the, the, the biggest poem in it. The silly old baboon poem. There was a baboon who one afternoon said, I think I will fly to the sun, but for two great bombs that he strapped to his arms, he started to take off run, started to take off a run. Mile after mile, he galloped in style, but he never once left the ground. You're running too slow, said a bus crow, try reaching the speed of sound, reaching the speed. The thing that I was that always struck me that the type the, the moment I fell in love with him it's really early on. There's a little cartoon and it's a stupid visual pun really, but it's the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. There's a little cartoon that's t- titled Strawberry Moose, and it is literally yes. a, a cartoon of a moose with some strawberries drawn on it. It's <laughs> yeah, a stupid. It it, it's a stupid <laughs> pun for <laughs> and. That was the moment I went, who is this? I really like this. And I, I have a vivid memory of looking at that cartoon, sat in the corner of that really damp porter cabin that we were imprisoned in, two whole years breathing, God knows what, into my lungs. 
stale coffee and and teachers fags mm. and the rest it, of it was it was terrible it was it was it was a really small porter cabin we did one year yeah. in there and then they switched around what classes were in what and we ended up by a fluke of uh the the the, the roll of the dice and um, we ended up spending the second year in the <laughs> but it did mean a second year with that book because they, they didn't change the books in the corner just reading through this i was i was reading the the bald twit lion very short story at the end yeah. of the book uh, and it is pure Milligan, and, and I say that in the sense it's pure. It's it's Spike at the sort of top of his game. It's just in terms of just. Um, I mean, I just want to, if you don't mind, can I just read a little bit from this because it's just you can indeed. It's, it's um, it just sums up why Milligan was absolutely peerless when he was on form. Uh, so he he writes um, about the bald twit lion. All his hair has fallen out. Hence the name. Uh, it says, uh, he bribed a part-time hairy anteater to sit on his head. It really looked like real hair, but the lion got hiccups. And each time, hairy anteater fell off. I'm off, he said, which was obvious as he'd just fallen off. Lion was heartbroken. Sad growls, he said, and then did what no lion had ever done before, not even in the ark. He laid himself down on the world and cried. Boo-hoo-hoo, hairless hoo. The animals, having no television, gathered around them to look and feel sad. He must have an upset tummy, said a monkey's stomach. I would say he's had bad news, said a teenage coconut. Rubbish, said a daft penguin and his cousin. Lions never get bad news. No one can ever get near enough to tell them. <laughs> That's absolutely wonderful. Every word is perfect. Teenage and, coconut. And <laughs> And and then the sentence laid himself down on the world. Yes. Is, that's that's just that that is the poet. That is something that's the the, the kind of central machinery. Is that mm. really that that the, the romantic he could have he would have succeeded as a poet in his own in his own yeah. right. But he could never resist the wisecrack at the end, could he, in terms of, you know, he could never be wholly serious for too long. But I think that just goes to show he always saved the best stuff for the kids. He really, really did. The, the stuff he wrote, for, I think it's because he was thinking of his own children as well. And, it, and yeah. all the kids' books, they just have something about them. There's just such a heart and a brain and a there's something that glows from them, which I don't get from his... I, I don't I don't get it from Q and I don't really get it from the Goon Show. I know it's a contentious thing to say on a Goon Show podcast. I'm it's kind okay. of like the, the punk the punk guest who doesn't <laughs> <laughs> But um but I really, really get it from from his children's children's work. And I saw that then. You know, even back then I could tell you could tell when a children's author kind of respects you and wants to and and, and wants to try and connect with you in a way that you've not been connected with on a kind of artistic or creative level he really really did seem like from that silly little paperback that there was something that was really trying to kind of touch me even you know just kind of creatively and trying to make me laugh but there's something about those i'm slightly rambling about this but it, there is because i've not quite understood what what it is about his his work for children that has that effect there's just something about certain children's authors they can be the best children they can write perfectly they can have good stories but there's just something almost beyond the beyond what we can understand something beyond 
comprehension, you can tell when a children's author has the ability to connect and when they're just an author who's very good at writing books in a certain style for mm. children. There's just there's something magical and there's there's only a handful of human beings that have ever ma- ever man- managed it. And, and the Spike Milligan stuff is absolutely up there. Um, there's you, you re- I really felt spoken to and, and like someone understood me. Yeah. And I think if he, if he hadn't achieved anything else in his life, I think he'd be delighted and satisfied that he'd had that effect on children like you. Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, it'll through the generations as well, because this stuff is timeless. It's also the least problematic, I suppose, in modern parlance of his, of his works as well. And the record stuff is okay as well, actually. The, the record stuff is pretty um, spotless in this day and age. The time I was getting into Spike as part of my journey, the, there were two compilations, really, that, that I listened to a lot. There was a CD one of his, of his EMI. It was on EMI, of his, you know, of his parlophone stuff, or of his George Martin stuff. And it's, I think it's called Legends of the 20th Century. And it was a not, there's, there's, there's 8 million different versions of this, all with very similar track lists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but it was a, a little kind of hardback book and it was a compilation and as, well, and as well as all the obvious singles it had a couple of bits from Milligan Preserved which is a great album and yeah, uh, and a, ex, excerpts from some of the novel readings as well just to, just for colour there was a little bit of the Pacoon LP and a little bit of um, a little bit of the War Memoirs and it was it was very well assembled and I think it had my favourite track the, my favourite thing that he ever recorded is nothing at all, um, which is is literally oh, a B side, yeah. isn't it? Of there's nothing on this side, nothing at all, and it's just three minutes of, of vamping to fill space, and it's yes. absolutely, um, it's, it's one of my favourite things that I have ever heard, and I think it was quite influential. I think it's been specifically mentioned as an influence on on Python on Terry Jones that exact that track. Oh right, okay, um, I didn't know that. Because it was part when they were doing things like the three-sided record on on matching tie and handkerchief, mm. that idea of oh, there's nothing on this side. It was it was in it was lodged in his brain as as a connection that he had to mess with the the physical idea of a record that that actually comes from, you know, being inspired by that. But at the time, I just knew it as a track on a compilation that made me laugh a lot. There's an extension of that, I suppose, and I, I won't quote it verbatim, but there's an extension of that on one of the Derek and Clive. LPs um, where Peter Cook just says hello you think there's going to be something on this but there's, there's nothing and then there's wait, this big wait. long pause <laughs> and then invective <laughs> you know <laughs> well, vague vague memories of that like I said I'm a, I'm a big Cook and Moore fan but I've, I've always been slightly um, Murray Whitehouse about the Derek actually that's 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 not not true I, I'd quite like the first one but I've always been a bit um, uh, t- sheepish around the Derek and Clive albums. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're not yeah. kind of my my cook and more. We'll move on. Um, <laughs> my my um, the, my, my favorite. I think my favorite sketch is Word Power. Anyhow, on the uh, on the thirty eight tram going back uh, by New Cross to Marcus of Granby Way, mm-hmm. I was reading up uh, the words. I got this slide rule going real fast. And uh, when, the, when the conductor comes out to me, he uh, passes the customary, face, please, I don't answer, I remain tacit and mute, see? Yes. And I looks him straight in, in the minces and I says, Perspicacity, mate. You should have seen the look on his face. 
I knew I had him. Imagine. He, he flung me off the, the tram, but it was, it was worth it to find the power of word denunciations. I knew that moment so exactly how Wilson Churchill felt with his words in the Third World War. I'm sure. Uh, now, Mr. Quark. Yes, yes, uh, sir. What did Mrs. Quark say when you took this dictionary home? She didn't say nothing at all. She's lost. Uh, she, but she loved it. She loved the Webster, sir. The Webster took out. She took to it right away, sir. You see, we, uh, we ain't got no kids of our own. Well, whose kids have you got, then? Well, well no one's. We uh, just ain't got any kids of our own. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Well, I'm not. I'm being glad, mate. If we had kids, they'd, that Webster's Dictionary would have gone for a better now. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you see the joke? <laughs> uh, does um, Mrs. Quark do word pronouncing? Uh, no, 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 sir. She's got uh, bad legs. What's the trouble? Well, there's no trouble. They're just uh, awful shape, that's all. Yeah. There's some really... This, uh, Milligan Preserved is the most Python, pre-Python thing I think that there is at all. Because it's got quite a few interview things, and they're just Python sketches. You could you could do that, or yeah. Coffer Royale, or you could do yep. those. Those things he does with Valentine Dial, you could just mm. put those on, on, on Python. You go, oh, yeah, they're great Python sketches. I, th- I think it is actually time for some new anthologizing of him as well, because there was a big thing about 15 years ago. We sold quite well, and and I think there is it is time now. We've we've done all the kind of archive books and the letters, and I think we really need to. Some well, someone needs to from a, a mm. publisher. I don't know if I don't know if the rights are still with Virgin actually, but a publisher really needs to start seriously getting this stuff back in to shops, so it doesn't disappear, because things can disappear. Because not everything yeah. does last. Like I, I bought last year um, a compilation of Ollie Iller Belloc children's mm. poetry. Yep. And that's, it, it, it's like buying some, I might as well be buying something in ancient Greek. It's, it's, it's no one has heard of it. It's compl- It's just there. It's in print as a kind of esoteric obscurity. And that's that's not lasted. So you've, it's really important that these things do stay in print and they do stay in availability, and they do stay in the hands of children. I've not really heard anyone speak about Peter Cook for a decade or so. Peter Cook's star is fading away. Kenny Everett's star is kind of fading away a bit. And mm-hmm. there's, there's, there are there are a lot of these. I mean, Python really they had its fiftieth anniversary, and it was a bit of a damp squib. A lot of the things that they put on for it didn't really do very well, and. I think Python's kind of t- trailing away now. You don't really hear anyone talk about the Bonzo Dog Duda band anymore. No. All of these things, they are slight. And I, I caught all of them just as just at the end, just when they were still available and people were still talking about them. And people were saying, oh, you've got to listen to that. You've got to get hold of that. You've got to read that. Mm-hmm. And now that's not happening, and now you can't get this and that, and that's disappearing, or they won't repeat that, or this is problematic, or that's not. And there's no route through the 50s and 60s are, are disappearing, you know, unless it's Doctor Who or the Beatles. The 60s are, uh, you know, the, are going, or the Beach Boys. That's that's it, really. They're the only things uh, from the 60s that are still being curated properly. Well, the only thing, the only thing that's heartening for me, just in terms of the goons, anyway. Okay, is the fact that so many of the people that I've had on this so far have been you know, my generation or even younger. You know, before I started doing this podcast, I just kind of assumed that the only people that really—I mean, I had—I have friends that like the goons, but they're friends you know, of mine who have a similar sort of mindset, you know. But it's amazing how many people 
have affection, if not for the goon show, for, for Spike or for Peter Sellers, you know, still to this day. And, and I'm not talking about crusty old gentlemen in their dotage, you know. And also, um, BBC Four has been, what, a couple of months ago, they repeated Parkinson Meets the Goons. And at time of recording, next week on BBC Four, they're repeating uh, the last goon show of all. I know they're thinking about, they're trying to move it more to an archive channel. And I'd like them to lead to these things more often. Because they do mm. become talking points. I remember they repeated the Michael Palin Three Men in a Boat a few weeks ago. And it was actually a big talking point on social media for about a week. People were actually watching it. And I'd like the idea of it being a vessel to kind of bring some some of these things back wherever possible. We really do need to look after our cultural history more. Because, you know, yes, the 30s are gone, 40s are gone. The war, anything the war is and anything before it is gone. Partly because of just recorded evidence. But when you get to the 50s and the 60s, you know, the, 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 all the stuff is there. We need to we need to look at it. We need to look after it, and these things need to be made available. And I don't just mean oh, they're on YouTube or they're on Spotify. If you want, they actually need to be on shop shelves. They need to be on TV screens. They need to be not just an option that you can click on if you so choose. If someone leads you to it, you need to be able to discover these things in in, in libraries as well just bringing these things back in print would just put them in the hands of so many people again, because if this, if, if this isn't acted on now, then everything else is going to go. We're going to lose the seventies. We're going to lose the eighties in 30 years. The, the whole 20th century culture is going to disappear. The whole four, three era, the whole standard definition era, never mind just the vinyl era. We're going yeah. to lose so much resonance unless it belongs to a franchise that's still lucrative, James Bond or something then we're losing our connection with the things that inspired the things that we're endlessly remaking or trying to copy or imitate now. And I think we're at a bit of a cultural crossroads where we really, really need to go back before we can go forward. And I think the heart of that is um, they need to bring all the Spike Milligan books back into print. <laughs> that's the good, that's a start. <laughs> that might save us all. That's the clarion call. It's like the whole, oh, well, no one watches DVDs anymore. They really do. They still okay. really st there's still millions of DVDs constantly being sold. Uh, you know, I still buy Blu-rays and DVDs, and my kids just look at me like I'm like I've got two heads. They just like shake their heads and say, "Well, you know, if if you can watch it on Amazon Prime for three pound forty nine, why are you spending seventeen quid on a Blu-ray of it?" Kind of thing. And they've got a point up to a point. Um, and after I've you know slapped them about a bit, I explain that you know one day, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm hoping that one day all the streaming services will just collapse and it'll be people like it'll be people beating a path to my door and begging me you know offering me hard cold cash for my dvd of um the 39 steps with robert donat i actually think the seeds of that have already started to happen for various reasons um we're now in an era where the, the dvd format has been around long enough that there are rare lots of very rare out-of-print DVDs from 10, 15 years ago, which now go for upwards of £50 secondhand. Mm. So even the things from the DVD era are valuable. People want them. They have a high price on them. Again, this is what I mean. The late, the second half of the 20th century exists on, on physical media, whether it was out at the time or it was released, you know, slightly belatedly. That is where... Because that is where my heart is. I'm still a 20th century 
person. I, I've, I've, if anything has taught me anything over the past 18 months and the kind of things I've gone to for comfort during this pandemic, it's all things from the 20th century, even from before I was born, early 20th century. But the, the, there is a big push really to get the, to save the past from destruction. And I, I, we should all be more um, cog- cognizant of this because of what happened with all the missing episodes of TV shows in the 60s. Yeah. And yeah. things being recovered in offer, and we're facing that crisis in a different way. Really, we're facing these things still exist, but they're going to be forgotten. And if they're forgotten for long enough, then no more. But then they will not exist because nobody will think them worth saving. They'll be trash again. Mm. Like there's no point in them recovering an episode of Not Only But Also if there's no way to see it. It can't be broadcast. It can't be released. No one will ever hear about it again. It might as well not exist. It's as good as lost, and I think we're losing the past. And I, I, I worry that Spike Milligan, he's not there yet, but he's going to soon get caught in this um, yeah. amnesia of of all the things that made British culture strong in, in the post-war decades that, that kind of enabled it to regroup into the 21st century. This, this is what I... All my... And interests and endeavors are about this era of, of British mm. artistic output. And I think it was mm. comedy, TV, films, music. That's what that's how the country recovered after the war. I think I think you should write all that down that you just said there <laughs> and, and go and nail it to the door of a church or something. <laughs> At some point this is going to need to result in open access to certain archives. Um some kind of arrangement being done because Something's got to got to snap. Otherwise, this this there were ten years away from just. I don't want to live in, in a world where all we've got is Stranger Things and Game of Thrones, and that's the old world. <laughs> Things that yeah. people talk about for three weeks or the sec the week after the last episode airs, no one ever talks about them again. And things which only exist to provide buzz on social media and, and hype, and there's there's. That are remakes are re- inspired by things which are inspired by other things which are rebooted by other things, and it's fine. I'm not. I'm not being. I'm not being a snob here. I'm being a bit of a snob, but I'm not being. I'm not <laughs> denying their right to existence. I just think we. You need. You need the acorns as well as the trees, and vice versa. I, I don't want to live in a world where people's idea of archive tally is Gavin and Stacey. Yeah. Oh. Oh. oh, oh. Like the you know I'm I'm a '90s because I was born in '85. I'm a '90s child. There's a lot other than The Simpsons, really, and maybe a couple of things like Star Trek and The X Files. The '90s, you know, I know there's a, there's the, there's a One Foot in the Grave podcast, which is now it's like mm-hmm. an archive. It's being treated like an archive obscure thing, which is fading into the into memory. I've yeah. Been on that. yeah, but yeah, and and we shouldn't. And it, and I suppose this podcast as well, it's a kind of, it's a part of a preservation effort, I suppose, mm. to to keep these things in the consciousness, but it shouldn't be such an uphill struggle. And, you know, the thing I've really got into over the past six months is I've become re-obsessed with uh, old MGM musicals from the 40s, 50s. And I think right. part of that is just the, the devilment of being a bit of a torchbearer for something which is, you know, a lot of it's because I'm mm. probably probably amongst the younger people who are buying Warner Archive Blu-rays of things which, 
you know, it aren't even very well regarded. I just thought Hit the Deck, if anyone's ever heard of Hit the Deck. It's like a really, um, it's not, I'm, I'm, I really am into the obscure. There's about 200 of them, actually, MGM musicals. And I'm, um, I'm not going to get all 200, but I'm, I'm enjoying the, 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 the troll. But I'm enjoying the fact, most of all, that I am helping keep something alive. And it's really important to me now. It's like there's a responsibility I feel on my shoulders that somebody has to care about these things and think about them and mull them over in their mind and really, really think about, do you prefer Arthur Freed or Joe Pasternak as a producer? Someone needs to be keeping these okay. little fires going and we we need to... This has become very philosophical, this podcast. It was supposed to be about a Spike Milligan poetry book for children. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to establish a new world order now. How did that happen? <laughs> Um, but I suppose going back to the actual topic, the reason this is important is because I didn't get into Spike Milligan because he'd released new books. I got into him because there was a BBC video called Comedy Greats with Old Clips. There was a CD with old singles. There was a double cassette called Spike Milligan at the Beeb, which had a lot of stuff on it. Because things were being curated and presented to me then, you know, there yeah. was a Bonzo Dog Doodab on Best Of that you could get. There was a Cookamore This, lots of Peter Cook-related books that were out. There was this Python thing. Things were there for me to find, even though I had no business. They were, before I was born, I had no business walking into them, and I did. And they informed <laughs> my whole human experience ever since. You know, no less than that. I'm a completely different person because I bumped into all these things in the way I did. And if I'd have only just, if I'd have only seen the things that were for me, made for me, aimed at me, marketed to me at that time on TV, on the, I, and I'd never gone back, it it would be a, I would be such a lesser human being. All of these doors were unlocked, and the, one of the very first doors were unlocked. Like I said, that's that Roger McGough poetry anthology again, something that's been curated, presented. Look at this. You please got to look at this. Keep this alive. And it's a conservation effort. Everything is a conservation effort now. I'm utterly convinced. You know, I'm not trying to live in the past, but I don't think we can go forward without kind of carrying the past. We can't throw things off the edge of the balloon to get higher because we're eventually just going to pop or we're not going to be able to get down again. That's a terrible metaphor, but leave it in because it shows I what, like the, it. what a vain man I am that I can pronounce uh, just, pompous metaphors. I'm just, I'm just thinking, if the work ever dries up, you could probably earn some decent coin travelling from town to town, sp spreading the word. From, you know, out. <laughs> I'm, I'm becoming a preacher for the past. You it sounds you terrible. You out town halls. Because I could, you know, <laughs> if, it, if this had gone another way, I could have been, uh, I could have gone all kind of a bit ukippy about it, but I preferred that, we can move forward in in a progressive manner by engaging yeah. with what what the reason that we're here and and how we harness that. It's everything is important. I've 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 I've, I've pontificated enough about this. Let's let's, let's, let's talk about Spike Milliken. <laughs> there was a TV show he was crowbarred into. I don't know if they asked for him. It was a Steps. The band Steps did a summer special on BBC One. In about 2001, right. and, and Spike had a cameo in it the, on an exercise bike or he was wearing... Um, it's on YouTube somewhere. Very old, very frail, very infirm. He was he was already having, you know... It was, I think he's still on... It was on dialysis at the time when he was doing mm. it. And it just goes... 
it, 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 the last year or two when he was very very slow yeah. and, and could could barely get his words out, which was kind of um, kind of heartbreaking to see. He had the intent was there, you could see his the mind was there, but his, his just his mouth wasn't following. There's like a sketch in a gym. I don't I don't know why anyone wants to see his steps doing a sketch in a gym, and then. Yeah. Who's that? Always oh, oh, it's Spine or something like that. And he goes, "It's Spike, it's Spike." And and, and, and. <laughs> you sure he's the best replacement we could get? It was either him or this other bloke, Jason Apple Orange, was in the band years ago. Anyway, look, the girls are soon whip him into shape. What group's he from, anyway? Ah, uh, the Goonies or something like that. What's his name? Spiky, spooky, something stupid, I don't know. You fools! Pike Milligan! I think you better call that Jason Orange bloke. Oh no! Never again! Mother! And even, even towards the end of his actual life, he was being crowbarred into stuff like that. I mean, I suppose in some ways it's it's not um, that much different from the uh, the man about the house film that he pops up yes. in for about yeah. five seconds. I suppose it was the modern it was well, the thirty years later version of something like that. But he was meant to be, and this is this. I'm I'm so sad that he couldn't do it because uh, David Renwick had written um, there was a comic relief uh, one for the yes. special in two thousand visiting Uncle Dick. Yeah, that's it. And he wanted uh, Spike, but Spike was just just not up to it and so they got uh, eric sykes but all spike would have had to do was just lie there and say one line and that would be it but you know he just wasn't well enough and he did he did a sketch in um he, he was in a sketch with harry enfield as a tim nice but dim i seem to remember in hmm. the bbc one did a, a sketch show i think it's on youtube now so a two-part sketch an all-star sketch show which was actually really good about the 20th century kind of a complete and utter history of Britain kind of thing and that it was in two parts over the millennium and he was in a sketch with, with Tim Nice but Dim oh, right. um, poss- I think he was playing I think he was Napoleon I might be misremembering I seem to remember him lying on the floor saying kiss me hardy um, right. so, that, so people, he was he was getting jobs that were good but very few that were actually worthy of him by that point. Mm. And he wasn't really on TV in the 90s. He was someone who existed in bookshops and video shelves and record shops. He'd turn up on chat shows and rail against modern comedy. I know that once he started slowing down, people became a bit frightened, you know. Yes. Because like I said, he did, he did he, his speech, became, I thought, I'm not 100% party to what actually happened. I know it was something to do with his heart in the early 90s, but there was a, there was a definite point where he had a big slowing down and he did slightly yes. recover in the mid 90s and then he, and he declined again he was really betrayed not so much the fact they didn't repeat Q but he was just kind of cast aside and it was it was it must have been painful for him because obviously there were people like there were losses in comedy there were Peter Cook and um, Graham Chapman and Kenny Everett and there were people who left all these people who died too soon around that late 80s early 90s who now would be dying or dead anyway, which is slightly depressing. It's weird to people think, oh, Peter Cook died young and Kenny Everett died young, and then they would be ailing now as well. Oh, you know, yeah. I, can't, I still yeah. can't believe it's two years since Neil Innes. I can't believe mm. we're in a world that doesn't have Neil Innes in it. It's, mm. it's, T- Terry Jones, of course. And, I know. Uh, it's Because ter- yeah. it, it, it's always, oh, Vivian Stanchel died very young, yeah. And, but then Neil, yeah. Neil Innes is, is not alive. I, I can't process the, the two things. The, the gulf between people who died young and people who died old 
then they're all and they've they've all gone and spike was still alive for a lot longer than his contemporaries some of his contemporaries anyway he was there he was available he wasn't rich in, in, in he wasn't you know in a hollywood mega celebrity he was available because yeah. that's what there's kind of three categories really there's the people that kind of lived hard died young the people that became rich hollywood megastars and the people just stayed doing what they were always doing and then they kind of got the shortest shrift i mean neil Innes is another one really you know, who, who I think he basically went into kids' TV because the phone stopped ringing. And the people who were not exciting enough to be dead or rich were just cast out. And I think Spike kind of got trapped in that too. It's uplifting, isn't it? So it's an upbeat moment. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm, the laughs in this podcast, in this goons podcast. <laughs> on that bombshell. Um, no, I, I wasn't expecting, I mean, I'm very glad of it, but I wasn't expecting... Um, um, a manifesto uh, manifesto <laughs> <laughs> and we can only hope that, that future generations are still discovering older stuff and not just thinking that you know if, if anything was made before the year 2000 then it's irrelevant and um crap we could all do our bit really it's a bit it's a bit like a political cause it's, it's as much an important as you know do, do your bit for the climate do your bit for everything else and you know Look after your environment, yeah. but also look look after your cultural environment as well, because there's yes. there's kind of a cli- there's a cultural climate change as well, and we need to hold that back too. I do recommend uh, if it's still on um, all four when I say this, um, uh, Kieran Hodgson, who I'm currently uh, post producing, who's the lead in, in Dick Dixon in the 21st century, and uh, right. lovely man, um, but it did a little Channel Four special the other night about about the environment, and it actually was actually was in a sketch show format and oh, it's okay. very much like seeing a, a white rhino and i think we should treasure these wherever possible he's someone who clearly gives gives a damn and i think people that give a damn are not valued enough in no. the world but in arts and culture like a hundred times more so we should appreciate what we have so yeah just search Kieran hudson and find him on all four not, I'm not on commission for that, you know. He's never even met me. Okay. He doesn't... Uh, <laughs> you might not even know who I am, but <laughs> he's... Uh, I'm sure he's uh, very grateful of the free plug. <laughs> uh, so, Daryl, listen, as I said, this conversation has been fantastic. It's gone in, in a direction that I wasn't expecting, but I'm... I'm yeah, I wasn't I'm, expecting it either. I was expecting <laughs> to talk about highway a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, we... I've got, I've, I've crossed out, I have a list of things here to, to talk about. I've crossed out a lot of them, including, we've not even mentioned Peter Sellers. Okay, we're not going to start now, but um, we've not even mentioned, I don't think Peter Sellers' name's come up once <laughs> in this. No, but well, there you because- go. It's it's a, it's variety, isn't it? And because I, th- I know what Tim, Tim went on to talk about Peter Sellers. So, we, so we've kind of, we've kind of cancelled each other out, which is good. We can find someone. Well, yes. Have you, have you had a party time episode? Then we can, uh, we yes. can really... <laughs> There we well, go. That's, that, that's the thing. I've had potty time. I've had a Seekham-centric episode. I've had lots of Sellers episodes, actually. But I've not had a dedicated Spike episode. And so really? This, this, that's amazing. This that. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, I'm sure this will be the, the, the first of many. Um, but, well, look, we've talked about Spike a lot on different shows, but this is the first sort of dedicated spike focused episodes so uh, and, so and it's an that. odd it's an odd angle it's an odd angle to come at him at as well because you know i might have expected someone to brought q q5 or something like that or yeah to talk to specifically to talk about those last few years when he was in a virgin publishing deal and being curated <laughs> and um well there we go that's that's quite good though isn't it it's we've got something it's covered great. that maybe 
wouldn't have been covered straight away. And I'll um, I'll post a link to your uh, YouTube channel on on the Twitters when this goes out. And you're on Twitter. What what are you on Twitter at? I'm uh, at, at just at Daryl McLean now. So it's at D A W R E W L McLean like Shirley McLean. M A C not not Mc like McDonald's. Thanks again to Daryl. Thanks for listening. Please follow if you're not already on uh, Twitter. It's at Goon Show Pod. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>